Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Do you ever wonder how a creative person makes ideas happen? How a person creates a concept and puts it into action in a campaign, art project, or book? How do ideas scale to the point that they are so popular and well-established? Do you ever wonder how a creative mind chooses an idea and discount hundreds of them when pursuing a creative project? I had a chance to chat with Aaron Harvey, the co-founder of Made and Millions, a nonprofit organization that is at the vanguard of creating social media campaigns in mental health. Made of Millions has been rebranding mental health, developing impactful messages for the lay audience, and also creating awareness about mental health in different levels, including work environments. I very, very much enjoyed learning from Aaron directly about his creative process behind the scenes, how he conceives an idea, how he handles creative stuckness, how he manages his fears of ideas not landing well, how he scales ideas, and how he knows when to step back from an idea. This was a casual and sweet conversation. Hope you enjoyed this interview, and I would love to hear any reactions you have. You can always send me an email. My personal website is www.thisisdrz.com. Again, the website is www.thisisdrz.com. I wish you a lovely week and see you next week. Bye-bye. Aaron, thank you so much for chatting with me in the Playing in Safe podcast. Thanks for having me. I would love to hear a little bit about how you handle fear and moments in which you got stuck as an artist, as a creator, as a person that works in the advertising industry. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I'm stuck all the time, I guess. You know, my day job is running a, like a creative agency in the advertising space called Ready, Set, Rocket. And so we work with a lot of different clients and in different industries, sports and fashion and entertainment. And so every challenge is unique and different and every assignment takes a different idea and approach and, and a way to, um, to bring it to life. So, you know, that plus working on advocacy work, plus mm-hmm. just being all OCD in my head a lot of times, I tend to uh, just get stuck all the time. Do you mind sharing how did you go into advertising? What's the story behind that? 
because you are very well known for your advocacy work, but I'm super curious about this creative side of yours. Uh, yeah, so I used to play music and, uh, you know, there's a, there a big music scene of people who are touring and making records and doing all that stuff uh, back in like the early 2000s. And a lot of us at that time were getting into like, you know, making websites and designing posters and doing photo shoots and doing licensing deals for music and this and that, whatever. And so like all the core tenets of, of the idea of creating an identity, of creating a style or a sound of of translating that through social media and then building audiences and booking tours and doing deals and negotiations. I mean, every aspect of that was just a total shoe in to what, uh, to what advertising really is, you know, the creative world is. And I think even too, when you look at how, when you're mixing music and there's all these different components that come together and people walk away with a feeling, you know, whether that's, beat or the baseline or the lyrics or the vocals like those are all distinct individual elements but when they come together you just you just get a feeling out of it and um, I think advertising is the exact same way there's a lot of different pieces and components involved Mm -hmm. Um, so when they come together you know hopefully hopefully a consumer relates to it and connects to it Mm-hmm. But how did you go into advertising? Um, I, I was like in between tours. I was wrapping burritos at Chipotle. Yeah, my buddy was like, hey, do you want to come work in this startup like branding agency? And I was like, not really, because I didn't really want to like take up my cognitive space doing something like that. I wanted to just like wrap my burritos and go home and work on music and stuff. And um and then in the end, I did it. And that's how I kind of just fell into it and fell in love with it. And then we started to, to build that business out together. And, mm-hmm. then, um, and then I moved to New York and, and started my own shop. Got it. When you say, I fell in love with that. How was the process to start creating something visually and coming up with the stories? Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Like I need new and fresh challenges and I'm willing to take a tremendous amount of risk. And, um, and so... I think this world of figuring out as you go in an, in, in an industry that was figuring itself out. For example, when I got in, we focused a lot on digital work and there were no definitions for work processes. There was no definition for what was a best in class product mm-hmm. or which software language or this or that or whatever. So like all the web was really defining itself as a medium for communication and um, so that just really tied itself into more of my entrepreneurial sort of spirit, which was like, oh, we can figure out the industry together. We can build a business together. We can keep going, cha-cha-cha, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you started Ready, Set, Rocket, how did you go from that initial conversation you had with one of your friends to what it is right now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think like, always doing first and then asking second was a really big component of of it. I think in my previous work engagement, um, I saw, I saw some of the opposite, right? Like a lot of people would approach and want things. So like we didn't have to just do them because there were a lot of people asking, but I knew when we were starting our own company that like, I was just going to have to go out, overcome my anxiety of, networking my social anxiety of like putting myself out there asking for money all these things that I really honestly wasn't comfortable doing and didn't want to do but to achieve my goals I needed to do them so I sort of just forced those exposures and then Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then just lean, lean into that and always did a favor first for everyone. And, and that always came back around in the end and helped me build the network I needed to build to, you know, create an agency that's been around now for 10 years. Things. Mm-hmm. In the process of building your own thing and creating, there is so much iteration. There is so much piloting projects, piloting ideas. I'm super curious about your creative process. Among the hundreds of ideas that may pop up in your mind, how do you know which ones you want to pursue? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, when we started and when I started in this career, it was it was a career of change. And I remember the first couple of years being involved in it. And it was like, well, we're really relevant right now. But like in two years, what we're doing today, we probably won't be doing. So there was a fear of like losing relevance. And then I was like, you know, once I settled into that a little bit, I was like, well, our entire DNA is based on change. Like the industry changes, technology changes, social changes, consumer behavior changes, all that stuff is changing all the time. So as long as we are present and we can be sort of like a a guidepost for our clients and for, you know, our teammates, then we can, you know, continue to iterate. So now I'd say that that's just so foundational to it. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to like the process of, of creating ideas um, you need to make the box as small as possible so that you can step out of it. Um, yeah, we had a former uh, a former creative director on my team who learned that from his creative director. And it's like, uh, you wanna have pie in the sky ideas, but I think in order to get there, you really gotta try to narrow in the strategic lens in which you're looking at a problem mm-hmm. to be as tight as possible. And then to say, how do we solve that in a way that's unique and interesting? And so that kind of can create um, you know, a positioning for a way you're going to go about solving something. And then when you look at all the ideas you have, you're like, which of these ideas best pays off that market need or that position we've created, which of these ideas best is in best service of that. And then which ones are actually feasible based on resourcing, timing, budgets, all those other types of things. Mm -hmm. So many moving pieces. If I can ask a little bit more about the nitty-gritty process, do you mind sharing an example when you had an idea that was big, but you have to scale it down a little bit? Yeah, no, I feel that um, all the advocacy work really fits in that bucket because, you know, I didn't know that I had OCD or anything until I was like, until like, was it six years ago? Mm -hmm. I was 33 and I'd experienced this for a really long time. And when I learned that that's what I was going through my whole life, then I immediately wanted to do work, but it felt big and I didn't know what Mm -hmm. kind of work I needed to work on myself first. So I spent about two years working on myself, but also I tried, I was open to trying anything, any prescription Mm -hmm. drug I could be prescribed, any behavioral therapy or whatever, because I wanted to be able to wrap my head around like, what is this whole world that is so foreign to me and to so many people. Mm -hmm. And all that time I was getting frustrated with myself because I wanted to be able to create some advocacy work. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a moment that comes when you know, and and there's a little bit of clarity Mm -hmm. and you feel like you're trying to force it. It's just, it might just not be time yet. You know, it's easy to be hard on ourselves where we feel like in that moment for me, I need to bring this information to the world and help other people. But I didn't have my point of view yet. I didn't have my lens for it. And then Mm -hmm. I finally hit that moment where I was like, two years later, I was like, okay, we're going to launch intrusivethoughts.org. And we're going to tell a story about intrusive thoughts instead of about OCD, because everybody already thinks they understand OCD. 
they generally understand it incorrectly. And now I can talk about this symptom and do that on repeat in a million different magazines and a million different ways because it's something we can all relate to having weird unwanted thoughts, right? So I needed that little like from I want to help the world better understand OCD to okay, here's the opportunity. I need to go and talk about intrusive thoughts, make this a conversation, build a web presence around it, tap into a lot of search traffic that people are looking for online. Um, <laughs> and that, that was really kind of an example of maybe something that felt overwhelming, but, but trying to pare it down. Mm-hmm, got it. Going back to that process, you were very clear. You want to spread the word about OCD, but then you waited for clarity about the concept, the idea. So how does it happen when you're working with the stories? How do you go from having an idea to making it happen? I mean, you know, the truth is with, with the charity, it's, it's a lot easier to bring ideas to market. I mean, we can come up, like, for example, we did a campaign uh, in, in May called No One Told Me, and mm-hmm. the idea was to bring awareness to the 10 or more years it takes for people to seek care. And what do you wish that you knew when you were 13, 14 years old? And that, that was the premise. And that was just an idea that I had over a weekend, a couple of weeks before May. And within two weeks, we were able to build a motion graphics package and tap the community and build assets and, you know, roll a whole campaign out. Because again, it's just us sort of curating and making decisions and checking with scientific advisors like yourself. Um, with the agency, it's very different because it's business and there's mm-hmm. clients and there's, um, there's layers depending on the size of the company. So, you know, normally in my world, like a client is going to have some strategic goals that largely tie to either revenue or brand perception or things of that nature, social impact now. Um, and so then you're kind of working down from there. Like how mm-hmm. can you give like, this bigger goal, which is to, you know, build awareness in a market for this and sell more of this product to generate this amount of revenue. Right. So like there's a really simple um, phrase I also learned from uh, one of our creative uh, directors where it's like a really easy way to think about um, uh, like a brief, which (laughs) is get to buy. So it's, I want to get this audience, whoever that is Mm -hmm. to do this thing by these means mm-hmm. and so if you were to put that in like you know any other context like made a millions would be like you know i want to get you know um you know 13 to 18 year old kids to uh understand the psychology of various conditions and symptomology by you know developing uh, madeamillions.com as a robust resource that brings together art and science and culture in a way that better explains this information it's just an example but like that mm-hmm. kind of framework can help you sort of wrap your head around how to do that mm-hmm. and then it's just a long process of iterating and bringing those things to life over time with your clients and, and with a lot of times with the the consumer included mm-hmm. in the process. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's a very dynamic process, right? Now, when you're iterating and you have many ideas, fears may pop up. Fear about people not responding well, fear about not saying the right message, not using the right words. How do you handle that? I think it, I think it just requires repetitive rejection. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, there's just no way around it. Like, I'm a super anxious person not as much these days but like back in the day I mean to even 
for a client to ask me a question when I first started about like, how, what, what's an idea for this or what would you do for that and put me on the spot, I actually would have so much anxiety that it would shut down my ability to sort of think mm-hmm. and could make me feel like, oh, I didn't have the idea on the spot. Now they're not going to hire me or they don't think we're that creative or whatever. And it took me years to sort of learn when I have to respond and when I don't. And I think mm-hmm. a really powerful thing that most people, I think, when they're coming up in their career, don't understand is you don't have to answer every question. And, um, you know, a lot of times you can sort of say, like, that's a great challenge, right? Like, let me let me go back and think about that. It make It's leading me to think around X, Y, and Z, but let me go back and come up with some ideas. And they'll be like, great. And so a lot of times you put this pressure on yourself to answer mm-hmm. a question in real time that you, you don't really need to answer. And in fact, answering it might not even be in the interest of, of the person asking. Maybe mm-hmm. better if you wait. Got it. So I think distinguishing when you want to share something, when you have to step back a little bit. Yeah, now, feeling empowered to, to not answer something on the spot, feeling empowered to not have all the answers all the time. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. super important. Most people get really nervous about being asked questions that they're like, oh, should I know the answer to this, you know? Well, there is also, I think, so much pressure about saying that right thing. Yeah. And somehow we're holding into idea that in this conversation, my whole career is invested. That's a heavy way to carry in our mind. Right. Let me ask a little bit more. Among the different campaigns you have come up with, like Dear Manager, No One Told Me, Intrusive Thoughts, you have limited space, limited attention. I don't know, honestly, how much time people look at the screen before they swipe, before they move on. So I think the chances to reach an audience may be different than if I'm giving a workshop. How do you handle that process when you have such a limited amount of time and a space to come up with a story, to come up with a message? Yeah, I mean, I think once you have your general idea, then you've got to look at different design executions and writing executions to see like what's going to stick. And a lot of times people need something that is simplistic that, you know, some type of device they can hang on to. Like Mm -hmm. no one told me is a device because you're like, oh, well, there's plenty of things no one told me. Everyone can relate to that idea. And Mm -hmm. then once you see how it's executed with a portrait and it's vulnerable and there's, there's, you know, lines there that are explaining something related to mental health. And, you know, you've experienced similar anxiety, like that can help you sort of stop. And then it can help you sort of empathize with, with the image and the visual, and then consider whether or not you might actually want to participate or follow or share your own. No one told me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think things like dear manager are similar, right? So like a fill in the blank in a way where it's like, dear manager, like, okay, we need to have a conversation. I can wrap my head around that workplace mental health matters now. And we should start talking about it. So I think you need to take a big idea, which is like, oh, we want to, we want to use the workplace as a way to solve the mental health problem by educating uh, all the employees around the world. Um, you've got to be able to put some tangible little simple hook in his mm-hmm. little hook or a little wrapper on it. Mm-hmm. I know for me, there is a different process when I'm writing versus when I'm editing, right? When I'm writing, I want to put as much as I can, just output, output. But of course, my mind comes with all types of fears. No one is going to read this book. People will think you're a failure. People will think you don't know what you're talking about. And the task is to hold these fears and keep writing. How do you handle those fears? And what are the fears that you may encounter when you're creating a story and a message or the visuals that come with it? 
Yeah, I mean, um, well, I mean, you know, I think the process of creation should be the fun part. It can also be mm. laborious if you don't feel like you're getting there. It can be extremely frustrating. Um, I'm pretty hard on the sleeve and the people I work with, if the ideas aren't getting there, uh, it just, it, it can be, <laughs> I have to check my negativity to the best of the best possible at the door, not at, not at the individuals, but just the frustration. Like, I want to get to the right work. So I think like mm -hmm. just at all costs, trying to get to the right work where you're, where you know that if you pitch this and you lose, you still believe in what you pitched. It might not have been right mm -hmm. for the company. Maybe it was a shit idea, but in the end, you believe that that idea could solve the business problem that they were up against. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what you have to get to. And that's what you have to put your stock in because this whole world is very subjective. I mean, the whole world of creative and advertising and whether you like this color or that color. So 99% of our job is to objectify subjective information. Mm -hmm. So you can't point to this objective with this performance indicator and this revenue goal and this audience segment that likes this thing this way. And then you can't show how your creative will back into that. You almost have to take the client out mm -hmm. of the equation mm -hmm. with them and you have yeah. to take yourself out so that we both are looking at it from the perspective of, is this target audience going to respond effectively or desirably to this information? Not is me personally, or you, or are you going to take it home and show your husband or your wife or whatever? Like, you know, all that stuff is completely pointless because it's just, that's not who the target audience is 90% of the time. Right. So detaching the personal opinion, mm -hmm. both as a creator, but also as, as a client is, is critical to getting to the best work for a business objective. But that's really hard, right? I think many times when we're creating something, whether it's a painting or a book, we get a touch, like it's my little thing. How did you learn to detach yourself from that in a way that there is a space for development of the idea versus holding to it with white knuckles? Well, yeah, and, and that's a really tough thing. I mean, when I started this, I started as a business owner. So I was very amiable to clients saying, I don't like that or more like this or less like that. I didn't have a lot of personal stock in the ideas because my goal was to grow my company. It mm -hmm. wasn't, my goal wasn't to sell this idea to you. Mm -hmm. My goal is to grow this company in order to grow it. I need to give you a great idea. You need to be happy with it. So if you weren't happy with it, then I move on over the years. My role has, you know, has lessened tremendously because I'm not doing every aspect of the company. You know, we've got a staff. So now if I work on something and it is my idea and it is something I like last week, I pitched something major and totally got, uh, you know, eliminated from an RFP process in round oh. one. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's like, I get rejected so often. You know what I mean? Because I we're <laughs> constantly pitching. It's not just like pitching to win the account. Then there's pitching on an ideas on an assignment and there's other assignments. So it's, it's constant rejection and iteration. Mm -hmm. So when I hear a lot of people talk about being nervous about being rejected or, or applying for a job and not getting that job, I, and I also see creatives on our team and otherwise get really personally uh, hurt by work not moving forward or one design being chosen over another um, I can totally understand where they're coming from. And I think mm -hmm. that's a natural uh, place to be. 
And it's an important place to be because if you detach too much, then like, what's the point? You're not invested emotionally in your work. So mm-hmm. it's important, but it's just repetition of failure and just, just keeping and going. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that for you has been having to pitch and hearing no many times that help you to step back. Yeah. One of the things that they hear in the creative community is how difficult it is to get feedback, no matter how, how the feedback may be delivery. If people say something about what you're writing or a visual that you come up with, it feels like you did something wrong, something awful. Did you ever experience that in which feedback or any form of rejection felt very personal? And how did you handle that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, no matter what, and, and increasingly now it feels more personal to me because my role is more just like pitching, you know, ideas and things like that. And I also am much more uh, confident in what works and what is successful and what doesn't. And sometimes, of course, I think that I'm being told by someone that something isn't the right solution when I believe a hundred percent that it is. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's my belief in that moment. And um, so I think it's hard. It's hard in the beginning to look at rejection because you maybe don't know how to handle it yet. It's hard 10 years now into owning, owning my agency in some cases to look at rejection because there's, there's ego that can come mm-hmm. Which is like I've done this X amount of times. This is a great idea or a great design concept or a great whatever, mm-hmm. and you you don't you're not seeing it. And um, so you know you're constantly having to check your self doubt at the door, but also you know check your ego at the door. That goes for the young guns too. That you know mm-hmm. they're hot shit designers or whatever, and they you know they have to deal with work getting rejected and not moving forward or a piece that doesn't look as good moving forward or something being taken in house or two beautiful concepts that are so distinct being mashed up into one and it losing oh. its creative energy. And yeah, so it's just, it's just part of the job, but it's probably checking fear and ego at the door and just trying to humbly um, represent your work and honor it for what it is and defend it, but defend it only to the point that the defense is, productive because mm-hmm. the answer is no and you keep defending it it's just awkward for everyone it's a waste of everyone's time mm-hmm. have you experienced that when maybe you were stuck defending an idea that people weren't receptive but it meant a lot to you yeah i mean i mean i feel that way all the time with the nonprofit because the nonprofit mm-hmm. have very limited resources and i have a thousand ideas so it's all mm-hmm. about how do we which ideas do we lean into when not just mm-hmm. mine teams like what of all these ideas are we leaning into when mm-hmm. and a lot of times it can be challenging because for example even with um the dear manager campaign and the workplace and all that stuff i strategically knew that if we could build credibility in the workspace mm-hmm. as a culturally relevant resource that could help transform how people show up to work and what their understanding of mental health is even though that wasn't the super cool culture play and mm-hmm. we were doing a lot with like art exhibitions and all kinds of stuff. But if I had to lay my chips on one bet, it was lean into the workplace because that's going to create the relationships that we need both with advocates in companies that are cool mm-hmm. like media companies and television entertainment, but also like with a real source of credibility and revenue. Right. So mm-hmm. I had to in some way just, 
even disappoint some people that we work with because we could be doing cooler cultural things, mm -hmm. but those don't have real metrics attached to them. It, 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 they don't represent the financial opportunity and the growth opportunity. So I had to edit, 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 and be like, six months, all we're doing is beautiful brains, dear manager, World Mental Health Day, workplace, and you know that paid off. Now we're at a completely different level of credibility. Then we're now seeking monetization of things in the workplace which will then fund our, um, our more, you know, fun, culturally, uh, interesting, immersive type of, uh, experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can see how you have to prioritize and be strategic about it. Now in that process, how you manage the different ideas that a team may have, we all have opinions and we want this, and we sometimes believe strongly, this is the way to go. How do you handle this fear about people feeling that you're not taking them seriously or something like that? Yeah, I mean, certainly over the years, like, you know, and I didn't start as a business person or a manager. I had no experience, right? So mm -hmm. I've made a lot of mistakes over the years with critiquing work or one designer feeling more important than the other designer, whatever that is, um, certainly. But in the end, the more that you can objectify your feedback, the more mm -hmm. valuable it is for everyone. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you're working with smart individuals who are passionate and driven. And sure, there's some ego. And sure, there's some disappointment. But that's where, again, you've got to anchor back to, like, what's the objective? Who's the audience? What's the brand all about? And how do we translate that into an experience that is going to you know, be the most engaging and exciting or memorable or deliver the most revenue. So if that's the formula, when you're giving feedback on something subjective, even mm -hmm. internally, you can't be, you can't complain about a client giving you subjective feedback when, if you're doing the same thing internally. So internally, you have to be able to say objectively A, B, and C. The typography mm -hmm. is stronger in this one. It's more progressive, which is more on brand in these ways, or, you know, this message is, and sometimes you'll, you won't know the answer, right? And mm -hmm. so you might want to actually bring consumers or test audiences in and be like, let's give both comps a fair shot. Or sometimes I won't like one of something or another, but we'll throw it in the mix and see what happens, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a process, but again, like being as objective as possible is in the interest of everyone because mm -hmm. you can't really argue with that and you can also learn from it. I get what you're saying that as you say at the beginning, objectifying something is very subjective, right? You have to be able to make objective and subjective. Here's yeah. my last question and, and I'm super grateful we have a chance to chat. If you were to have a cup of coffee with any person you want, who would that be? Hmm. And why? It's all about coffee time. Uh, well, yes, coffee is like my number one pastime. So <laughs> it should be really easy for me. Um, coffee with anyone, anyone in the world. She's alive or dead. Anyone. Oh my God, I'm so bad at these kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> um maybe Kurt Cobain okay walk me through that because <laughs> uh same reason creative process um you know just kidding aside a little bit got it 
It was such a pleasure to chat with you and to really learn more the behind the scenes of all the super cool things you're doing. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!